This is the Blueprint Podcast, bringing you the latest in cyber defense and security operations from top blue team leaders. Blueprint is brought to you by the SANS Institute and is hosted by SANS Senior Instructor, John Hubbard. And now, here's your host, John Hubbard. On this episode of Blueprint, we've got Carissa Copemans and for the third time, returning guest, Mark Marzinski. And they're here to tell us about something I'm guessing nearly everyone listening will be interested in, Microsoft Security Operations Guide. Did you know Microsoft has released extensive documentation on what exactly we should be looking for to detect compromise in our Azure environments? Yeah, they have. And in this episode, we're going to talk about what is in that guide, the most important log sources for detecting Azure compromise, the easiest way to get those logs into your environment and turn them into actionable dashboards with things like pre-made workbook templates, how to turn those dashboards into actionable alerts and automated incident response actions, and much, much more. Stay tuned for all of that and many more awesome tips and tricks on this episode of Blueprint. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blueprint. On the podcast today, we've got Chris Koopmans, and I think the person who's closest to forcing us to design a SNL-style uh, five-timer jacket. <laughs> we'll have to design one of those for you, Mark. Uh, Mark Marzinski, uh, welcome to the podcast. Um, wanted to have you two kind of start off uh, doing a quick intro to yourselves. They're here from uh, Microsoft and going to be giving us some outstanding information for helping us detect uh, threats and other kind of any kind of thing that we don't want in our environment. So, Carissa, let's uh, start with you. Great. Yeah, I'm Carissa Coltmans, and I work on the Get to Production team, which is in the Identity and Network Access Division of Microsoft. So, I work with a lot of large customers, and we grab their feedback and we bring that back into engineering. So, and it's just a, it's one of the things I specialize in is log analytics. And so that's why I'm here today. Fantastic. And what about you, Mark? Although we might know you all from, from the last couple episodes. Or three no, no, I'm not. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to that that smoking jacket. Uh, that's a good one uh, from an SNL <laughs> perspective. But um, uh, thanks for having me um, again. Yeah, so I'm on the same team as, as Carissa. And we, uh, we were, you know, we are responsible for Active Directory, Active Directory Federation services, uh, but we spend most of our time helping customers deploy uh, Azure Active Directory. Fantastic. All right, so the genesis of this episode was Mark had reached out to me via email and uh, basically let me know that there's a couple really important things that he wanted everyone to know about out there in the audience. And I totally agreed with him because Microsoft and Azure and, and all the surrounding universe of, of products is something that nearly every business at this point is using to some degree. So it's obviously imperative that we all kind of know what we're looking for and how to best find stuff within this uh, mountain of data that's being generated from all of our cloud services and everything. So uh, to start Start off. Um, let's set the stage, uh, Mark. If you could kind of walk us through some of the things you've been working on since last season and uh, what, what we wanted to talk about in this conversation here. Yeah, so I think one of the big things since the last time I was here with the uh, IR playbooks is we have a full-blown Azure AD security operations guide, which kind of walks through what should the SOC be be monitoring. But um, before we get into all those details, because there's a lot in that. Uh, security operations guide. You probably we should probably do a quick review of what the different log sources are in Azure AD. And if you have Azure or if you have Office 365, you have Azure AD, even if you don't know it yet. So uh, you want me to kind of run through those, John? Just kind of yeah, yeah, definitely. That'd be great. All right. So let me ask John: How many log sources do you think there are in Azure AD? Like how many different log types? How many different I'll put log you on the types? Spot. Yeah. Oh, good question. So. 
Uh, reverse the thre- I'm now I'm the host now, John. I'm the host. I'm going to interview <laughs> you. How many? So I guess it kind of depends on how you're counting. But I know we got the like the sign in logs and like the separate like um, what is it? Uh, just the Azure AD like activity logs of sorts. I, I don't know if if you're counting like separate things for if yeah. people are doing key vault operations or whatever. Let's go with ten. I have no idea how you're counting them. <laughs> Very, very close. All right, let me let me run through them and I'll kind of explain them. I think this will help kind of set up the what the different log sources are and things that you're you know everyone should be taking a look at. So the first one is the audit logs. That's you can think of that as anything that changes state in the directory. So maybe a user reset their password or an attribute got added, you know, uh, updated on a user. That's the audit logs. Then we have the sign-in logs, which this is for the interactive sign-in. So when a user maybe logs into Outlook for the first time or they're logging in through. Uh, OWA through a browser or something, that's going to be in the sign-in logs. Then we have the non-interactive sign-in logs. This is when a refresh token, like, you know, Outlook is constantly getting an access token, you know, every hour, you know, validating the access. That's where all those logs would be. And that's a very, very, very chatty log. So if you're going to start pulling those logs into your scene, be prepared. That's a, that's a lot of different logs in there. Then we have service principles. So service principles has their, like, this is applications. So this when an app is, you know, authenticating to Azure AD to do whatever it's going to do, those have its own type of logs. And then there are managed identity sign-in logs. So managed identity is a special type of service principle where the credential for that service principle is not exposed. So like this is, you know, you have no shared secret, no certificate, any of that stuff. This is a special type of um, service principle. Then we have the provisioning logs. So this is if you're doing skim provisioning. So let's say you have ServiceNow or Salesforce connected to Azure AD. We can automatically provision through the skim protocol to those applications. Those are going to be in there. If you have ADFS and you have ADFS Connect Health turned on, all the ADFS sign-in logs will also show up in Azure AD. And then we have all the risk events. So we have risky users, risky uh, events for that users. And then we have the new one is risky service principles. So this is when the application is compromised. So think about the solar winds thing, or you know maybe somebody checked in a secret into GitHub. We look for that now as well, and we will mark that service principle as risky. So I think that's about nine. So you were very close. I was reading the uh, the SecOps guide last night, rereading it too. Every ah, so you cheated. So... You cheated. <laughs> <laughs> is that cheating? I was doing my research, right? <laughs> so I mean, uh, needless to say, there are plenty of log sources, right? And all of those there things are for, ton uh, are going to be high volume for any uh, enterprise of really any kind of size, especially for the extra large ones. Though we're going to get a flood of data, right? So the challenge is going to become, what are we looking for in that data? And that's where that security operations guide steps in and points to a lot of that really fantastic stuff. So could you talk a little bit about um, first, like what's in that guide and how that helps you understand what you're looking for there? I, I, I lost you for like 30 seconds. Like everyone went. <laughs> so I, no, I yeah, you, fr- you froze question. for a second too. <laughs> Okay, we'll start. Um, let me see. How did I phrase that? So could you describe uh, a little bit with all of those log sources uh, based on the security operations guide? It, it points you to what we're looking for here. Can you can you talk a little bit about the contents of the security operations guide and, and where that's going to bring value to people trying to understand these log sources? Yes. So the security operations guide, we have it broken out by different categories. So user accounts, privileged accounts, uh, stuff specific to PIM, 
applications, devices, and just uh, regular user stuff. Um, it's going to focus on what you should be monitoring from a seam, like a SOC perspective. And it gives you the log sources that like, this is the thing, how you look for it. And then we kind of give you a high, medium, or low based on what we thought is the most important things that the, the SOC should be looking for. Now, the question I'm going to, again, I'll ask you, John, and I talked about this before, how do you get those logs into your seam? Like, what is the recommended way? Again, I told you, I'm the host now. Like, I'm the Tom Hanks <laughs> of, this, of this SNL show. So how do you do it? We're going to be pulling them Remember? in directly, probably into uh, log analytics, right? From the, the specific um, services and products that you're running in Azure. There's also, what is it? All the event connectors of various sorts. So there's Azure event hubs and some of those other things, I think. But I believe the best thing is directly into log analytics out of those items. Very good. Uh, there's a couple ways to do it. So if you have a you know, Splunk or Curator or some other seam, you should be using the event hub. And this will push all of the events and you can pick all those log sources I just talked about. You can pick which of those log sources you want to send to your event hub and that will push those all into your seam. Previously, a lot of people were doing graph API calls to go pull the logs, which can be problematic because you have to keep you know pulling them and then you have to kind of probably dedupe them as they come in and things like that. So the event hub is absolutely what you should be doing. If you don't have a seam, or maybe the you're maybe you're like myself, you're on the identity team, and the the team that runs the seam is like a nemesis team, and like we don't really talk to them because they won't share data, and you'd be surprised how much that does happen. You can then use log analytics or something like Sentinel to look through those logs. So you would also then send those logs to log analytics, which is what you're going to need to do to use any of the stuff that Chris is going to talk about when it comes to to workbooks. Fantastic. So building up to the workbooks thing, um, I guess let's let's kick it off and, and jump into that. Uh, where do workbooks come into solving the problem of tons and tons of data that people might not know what to do with? Sure. Um, well, I think the one thing I learned is that you get all of this information. And honestly, if you don't do anything with it, I mean, it's just a waste of, you know, waste of storage. So what it does, I mean, there are actual templates that we as Microsoft and on our team, we create and they're just, they're what we would think, um, they're almost like a different version of a SecOps guide in a way. It's like, hey, these are the very common questions, common concerns, common things that we see. And we build these templates around there. So any customer who is, you know, streaming their logs into log analytics have access to these workbooks. And they, you basically have to set up a log analytics workspace. Um, but once you have that, then you have access to all of these amazing workbooks um, for example, there's one that monitors sign-in logs. They monitor like conditional access and insights. It does a lot of like gap analysis. We also have looking into like authentication prompts. Um, you know, hey, you have this executive who's getting overprompted. Um, how in the heck am I going to find out why he's being prompted? And it breaks it down by device. It breaks it down by user, um, operating system. It just breaks down all these different ways and it's all visual. So even if you're not like, someone who is completely a data, pure data analyst, it's going to make sense to you because it's in these visualizations and you can bring it to your leadership. You can bring it to your manager and hopefully have conversations around it and know where um, you can start like doing a little bit of diagnostic work. Fantastic. So let me jump in and, and put myself back on the hot seat here and, and uh, try to give you my, my version of what I think workbooks are for those who might be uh, unfamiliar with kind of that term in the way that we used it here. 
workbooks in my mind are very much like a normal sim dashboard, right? We're taking data from large pools of whatever multiple different sources, and we're cutting it up and turning it into various mm -hmm. charts and graphs so that we can hopefully come up with some kind of actionable insight. Is that correct? 100%. Um, you know, I've used Kibana in my lifetime. So I would say like, you know, that is like one where you can really put together, you know, you have these like little modules or wizards that you're putting together this amazing workbook or amazing visualization of the data. That's what we are calling a workbook. Um, and the templates is like what we're saying is like ones that we create, um, but they're all built on the Custo query language of our logs, right? So they're, you know, all of the logs you can access through that. The other thing is important that's maybe a little bit different is that like you can take these workbooks and save it as your own and then customize it and change it. So you're really just like almost making an exact duplicate, but then customizing it for what you want to see. Um, and you would be able to customize anything inside it, the way it looks, but also the queries as well. So one of the ones you had just mentioned, and I checked out because it was in Mark's email, kind of in a, yeah. uh, the intro, uh, was the, I think it was excessive login prompt was the way you phrased it. Authentication uh, prompts analysis. Authentication yep. prompts. Okay. Mm -hmm. So yep. that's a good kind of case study for people who may have not dove into this before. Mm -hmm. Um, as an example, why is that something that someone might be interested in and what is on your dashboard that would help them kind of solve sure. those questions or understand those problems better? Yeah. I mean, I will um, answer it in, in my sense, but I also want Mark to speak to it too, because they, they spoke about this, been, you know, preaching about this for a long time. Um, and we finally have something that like all of our customers can use. So the workbook itself is really so that if you are having um, any issues in your environment, you know what normal is, and you go into this workbook and you're seeing like a huge spike in people using um, FIDO keys, and you don't think you have anybody using FIDO keys in your environment. That's just one example. You, it's basically, if you don't know how, like who, what type of authentication methods are in your environment, and you don't know how to gauge this, this might not be useful to you. But if you are, if you know what you have in your environment, and you're seeing things that are not necessarily making sense, it's a place to start to do investigation. The other thing it is, is we've heard like our customers complain all the time. They're like, I'm getting a hundred prompts a day. Like I, I'm turning off my authenticator app. I'm done. And they're ready to like, just throw their entire computer out the window. This is where you can say, okay, I'm actually just going to search for this executive's name or whoever this is having this issue. And I'm going to see an exact breakdown of what applications he's using when he signed in, what operating system using, is he coming from an unmanaged device? Is that why he's getting all these prompts? It breaks it down by also policy. Like maybe there's a policy in place that we didn't know was in place, or maybe it was configured incorrectly that's causing all these prompts. So there's so many different reasons that these prompts can can start you know popping up and be excessive. Um, and this is the way for them to figure out exactly what they need to do to fix it. Gotcha. And what we're aiming for with that sort of thing, uh, or maybe I should ask you, uh, in the ideal organization with the exact right kind of, or maybe count of uh, prompts, what are, we, what are we aiming and what are we hoping to find kind of on this dashboard if everything is normal and working great? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, one of the things that we put on this workbook is like your average amount of prompts per person. And I think even just being a person, you know, usually the, the IT admin is also a user of prompts. Like he has to prompt in when he's signing in. So if he thinks that 20 <laughs> per day is pretty excessive, then he's probably right. So it's really, I mean, it's going to be different in every environment, right? So in Microsoft, like I expect that I sign in with my Windows Wheel for Business and I do not expect to be prompted ever again during that day because I just signed in with my face on my computer. 
Um, other places have different rules and maybe they have, they're accessing um, specific applications that are, have higher security. So then they are expected to be prompted again or having to do a re-authentication. Um, so this is where it really is a customized thing. So this is where I beg, and I, I think I've learned this in a, in a SANS class, you know, I've heard it over and over again. It's like the most important thing you can do is like really know your environment. If you don't know your environment, you can't protect it. So that's really like, it's, it's going to be gauged towards each customer. Gotcha. And and so these are pre-made, I guess, templates that help you pick out some of these things that are like, maybe it's yes. not immediately obvious. So you all are providing these to us and saying like, here, these are things you care about. Here's how you should look at them. And this is how you can judge what is normal for you. And then ideally pick out the outliers and, and things yeah. like that. Right. Um, but we should be trying to draw, like, as Chris has said, you should probably like you're getting 20 prompts a day. That's not good. Right. And right. the, the things that we're seeing with a lot of customers is when you do over prompt people, this is how I don't, you guys have probably heard about this, but where people are getting, you know, fish and they actually give up their MFA credential, you know, they, they get prompted for a prompt and because it's the 10th prompt of the day, they don't know that it's any different than the previous legit eight one. So that the attacker logs in and they get the MFA prompt and they're like, sounds good. So they hit approve and, you know, kind of defeated the purpose of your MFA. So you really want to be driving, as Krista said, you, you know, for high security stuff, maybe you want to prompt a little more frequently, but that should be the exception, not the, the default. We really want to be cutting those prompts down as much as we can. And we actually had a, a customer have a pen test done and, you know, they did the normal password spray, get the password stuff. And they asked, is it okay if they just like bombard these poor people with MFA prompts? Like, did they have approval? And they said, go for it. So they just bombarded like three or four people with just a bunch of MFA prompts and nobody called the help desk. Not one person. They just lived with it. And then one person uninstalled the authenticator app to be like, just make it stop. So that was the, the tactic they took. So this workbook, I think, will be very helpful to see what is actually happening in your environment. If you haven't really taken the time to, to look at this and analyze this, and you'll probably see um, some recommendations, like Chris mentioned the unmanaged device. One of my customers who Chris is their favorite uh, person is always talking about their, her, the workbook stuff that she's working on. Um, they saw that most of their prompts are coming from these unmanaged device types. So this is just, you know, not, you know, domain joined or Azure AD joined devices. They're now using that to go push to say, look, we really need to include this and start pushing some of this other work forward because look, these people are having such a very poor experience on these unmanaged devices, even though they're maybe a corporate resource. So um, lots of good stuff that can be pulled from those, those workbooks. Gotcha. So a question that might be slightly out of scope of this, but I was just thinking about it yesterday as I was kind of logging in and playing with Azure stuff. Um, sometimes when I log into certain Microsoft, uh, you know, tenants or environments, like it'll just get the, is this you? Yes. Or in other times I got to like type in the number you see on the screen and, and those kind of things. Is the number thing an attempt to get rid of the problem you just described where it's like, is this you, you know, type the number and then they're like, I don't have a number. Um, is that one of those, like the, the kind of prompt you present to people, uh, something that we should be looking at and, and is there any kind of advice around that you have? So I can take a stab at this one because the, the number is like a new type of way that we are doing authenticated, like password lists with your phone. So if I don't have, if I don't have to ever enter my password, but I need to confirm it's me, Microsoft will send you a number to your authenticator app and you basically just enter the number and match it. Um, and that way it's like a confirmation without having to enter your password or you're re-authenticating without entering your password. Um, if you don't have the authenticator app, then I'm not sure why you would get that prompt. Gotcha. That, yeah. Okay. So um, 
aside from authentication prompts, right? You mentioned there's a ton of different templates that are out there. Are there any uh, that are favorites or new things that are were recently developed okay. you also want to highlight? Yes, absolutely. So, um, I mean, we have our main staples that are always there, but the most recent ones that, you know, I'm very excited about is our cross-tenant access. Um, so we've had one of our teammates, uh, Jeff Kazmir, he built out the basically you're tracking who is accessing your environment from different tenants and who in your environment are accessing other tenants as well. And this is super useful because we are starting this cross-tenant access policies where you can, you know, you have incorporated other um, tenants that you are partnering with. Maybe it's a partner, maybe it's just another tenant altogether that's in your environment, but you are in this B2B relationship with them. Um, but you want to say, hey, I want to actually um, put my policies on them or I want to know if they've MFA'd in their Azure AD environment before they come to me. So you just have these different um, policies that you can regulate and you, that environment, or, sorry, the relationship's a little bit more safe in that and more secure. So this this app, um, this, sorry, let me start back. Um, the cross and access workbook it is a way to just look in what's going in and out. So um, outgoing and ingoing um, is type of type of uh, authentications in your environment. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so with this kind of thing, what type mm-hmm. of uh, suspicious activity might we might we be looking for in that kind of a situation? Yeah, I would say that if you are looking at any <laughs> any um, certain applications that maybe you don't want your people to access, or if there are people who are accessing other tenants that you didn't you didn't know had access to those other tenants. That's something um, that is probably to trigger. I also think that, and Mark, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but one of the things I think is interesting with the the B2B, there's more than just, there's B2B relationships. And then we have this cross-tenant access policies where, you know, you're using, you're applying policies now, right? So you want to make sure that they're going, they are coming from like maybe um, a, a device that is compliant, you know, for either your environment or you're accepting the rules that they're coming from, or that they've come through MFA when they're accessing things, or they're actually on this whitelist that says they can come to your environment or go access those. So I think it's just, again, knowing your environment, knowing what rules you set up in these cross-tenant access policies, and then seeing if there's things that should not be happening. And this is the way that you can like dig into it um, from a workbook. If you've been with us through season one and two, you've undoubtedly heard me talk about some of the courses that I've authored for SANS that are near and dear to my heart as a lifelong blue teamer. What you may not know is that every year and multiple times per year, these courses continue to get better. One of my favorite classes to teach is SEC 450 Blue Team Fundamentals, which is a technical class I designed for anyone working as a cybersecurity analyst for teams large or small. We continue to update the class and bring in new information on the newest threats, data, and protocols that any defender needs to be aware of. In the most recent course refresh that went live just about a month ago, I've continued to hone the content, diving further into cloud defense, automation examples, detection for modern attacks and attackers, including common things like ransomware and much more. And we've also brought increased focus on new and more difficult to monitor network protocols like HTTP2 and HTTP3, DNS over HTTPS, and TLS 1.3, things that every blue team needs to be familiar with or will need to be very soon. Every version of this class comes with continued focus and updates, and this class is huge. 
I don't know of any other security operations course out there that contains nearly a thousand pages of slides and notes, 15 hands-on labs with a virtual machine to go with them, including another 400 pages of step-by-step exercises for those hands-on exercises, video walkthroughs of all of those exercises, MP3s, a course wiki, and a whole day CTF where you can apply the skills you've learned in class throughout the week. My goal with this class is to bring you the absolute most comprehensive security operations and analysis course possible, and I'm continuing to strive with every release to keep updating the course and deliver on that mission. The depth of content in this course is something that SANS is uniquely positioned to deliver, and I hope you'll check it out if you have a free moment. Go to sans.org sec450 to check out the free course demo, which is a free full section of the course, and an in-depth syllabus to see if it's right for you. We have options to take it live in person, live online, or at your own pace with SANS On Demand. And unlike some other training courses, SANS and I are there to help you along the way with personalized help and explanations for any questions you may have. With the recent release of the GIAC GSOC certification, anyone that takes the class can now get the corresponding certificate that shows that you've put in the work and have what it takes to go head-to-head with modern attackers. I really think we put together something special here, and I hope you check it out. Thanks for listening, and now on with the show. Um, is there, I assume these things are built off, uh, actual incidents that may have occurred uh, at certain customers. And then you say, oh, we need to have, you know, certain, uh, protections or detections for whatever it is. Um, is there any kind of patterns or other, you know, access, uh, types and methods that you're seeing as a trend in terms of, uh, breaches and any attacks that are happening right now? We'll be back after a quick break. If you're enjoying this episode, then you're undoubtedly interested in building the strongest security operations team that you can. For those who want to go even deeper, did you know that SANS has not one, but two courses that cover security operations centers as well? For the leaders, managers, and directors out there, my co-author Mark Orlando and I offer 551, Building and Leading Security Operations Centers. This course covers building your team, your physical and virtual workspace, getting the right data into your tools, and then focusing on security priorities through everyday execution of important security tasks and building the best SOC team possible. For the technical practitioners out there, my course SEC 450, Blue Team Fundamentals, Security Operations and Analysis, is designed to cover everything you need to jump in being the best SOC analyst that you can be. We cover important data types, SOC tools, security logs, malware, analysis technique, automation, and much, much more. In addition, if you want to prove you can deliver the best on any security team, both courses have an accompanying certification available from GIAC. That's the GSOM for 551 and the GSOC for 450. Check out both courses and free demos available on the SANS website. You can get registered today for an in-person course at one of our many events, or go to On Demand and take either class anywhere at your own pace. Thanks for listening. I mean, I think every everybody still understands that passwords are like the most um, insecure way and they're constantly being attacked. They're constantly being, um, you know, fished or if even if it's just a brute force attack or if it's um, social engineering, there's so many different ways to get a password. And I think what these workbooks are actually trying to do, especially like the authentication prompts one is, you know, not only are we like saying, hey, this is what's in your environment, but we're saying okay, if you want a better user experience, maybe we should start transitioning to more passwordless and you can track your progress as well. And then you can kind of know, hey, where do we stand? Oh, wow, we still have people on, you know, ADFS and using single factor authentication or whatever it is. It's like, it's time to focus there and get them, you know, onboarded into a new and safer multi-factor authentication or password, uh, passwordless option. Very cool. 
beyond authentication prompt analysis and looking at uh, cross-tenant access kind of use cases, uh, what else have we uh, come up with recently that uh, you'd like to talk on? Um, some of the other ones, and I have them up in front of me, there's there's so many. There's like 23, I think, oh, wow. templates right now, so or 27. Um, there's quite a bit now, but we definitely, like if you're just getting started, I would say definitely go in and look into the sign-in. Um, there's a, it's just called sign-ins. Um, it's going to look at like who's signing in, what app they're, they're looking at. It's just really basic information, but how many successes, how many failures, you know, why is that going on? Um, instead of looking through the sign-in logs, you have it all here um, in just a little bit more of a readable and digestible, and like you said, you know, actionable way. Um, the continuing, uh, sorry, the conditional access um, workbooks are great. There, there's conditional access insights. There's, there's continuous access evaluation um, insights as well. So, like using uh, people who are using the CAE and like what applications are using that, you can monitor. Um, there's also some troubleshooting ones like sign in failure provisioning analysis. You can look into your the health of your tenant. I mean, there's just so, so, so many. And Mark, do you have any that you want to, maybe the app consent you should talk about? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the, the conditional access one is a really big one. And that's kind of, you know, I think it's the conditional access for those aren't aware is kind of the, the central engine where you can say in order to uh, this user or group gets access to these resources and they have to meet these certain conditions. Uh, it's very easy if you're not really familiar with it or, you know, maybe it, your environment has grown over time to maybe things have fallen out of scope or users aren't, you know, possibly accessing an application without having a policy applied. So that's a really good place to start to make sure the policies are being applied the way you think they're being applied. So I think that's a, a really good one. The second one was one that Chris actually missed and she actually worked on it not that long ago, which is the identity protection stuff, which has all the different like risk events and who's coming from where and all that kind of stuff. So that one's a really good one. And then, yeah, the app consent one is a, a one that is a really important one, which is um, app consent is a kind of like a new type of phishing attack where maybe you prompt the user to consent to uh, being able to read parts of your profile, maybe read your mail or, you know, even give access to your mail and then, you know, it, it starts sucking your mail out. So they, we'll look through stuff for that and kind of show you some of that stuff. And that's all covered also in the security operations guide in the app section talking about app consent. I mean, we could do another whole show just about app consent if you wanted. There's a lot to unpack there and it's kind of a newer type. If you're not familiar with OpenID Connect and OAuth, um, it's a little confusing at first, but once you kind of understand the, the whole dance and the flows and how those tokens work, um, it's, it's really good to learn if you haven't, if you're a defender and you haven't started looking at that, it really is the new you know, NTLM and Kerberos type of stuff that you should be starting to understand because that's where all apps are kind of moving from an authentication perspective. Yeah, definitely. That's one I think it might be worth um, going at least a little bit further on. App consent grant attacks, uh, again, if I'm summarizing this correctly, ways to get around people having to do multi-factor auth, right? And you trick someone by saying like, here, click this link. And then it shows the user something like, hey, do you want to have this uh, app that looks benign, but is actually created by an attacker, right? Uh, have access to your account. And the user is like, oh, I don't know, sure. I, you know, I click okay, because that lets me do my job. And then that gives them the ability to modify, you know, email rules, intercept email and stuff like that. Uh, did I cover that sufficiently? That's no, that's that's dead correct. So um, and we've I think a couple of us have done some of the SANS Blue Team Summit sessions around some of the stuff. So there's uh, I mean, like I said, we could do a whole hour about that. But, yeah, you got it. It's very similar to like, you know, on your phone when you you have a new app and it says can it access your your pictures and your camera because what's going to send, you know, add some crazy filter that I'll send to, to Chris. It'll give me cat ears or something like that. Right. It's very similar concept, except for instead of accessing stuff on your, your, your mobile phone there, it's going to be like SharePoint sites, your, your contacts, your calendar, things of that nature. And 
the the thing to know about that is then all your forensics tools you know where you go like let's get that machine and like let's tear this thing apart like there's nothing on there because it's all on the web account stuff so there's a there's a lot to to, to learn there and so that's where those uh, kind of app consent uh, templates and logs and all these rules can help us find that, right? It's we're trying to say Absolutely. like, hey, where is there a user that has an application that no one else has ever said okay to in this organization before? Right? That's kind of the key to finding those, correct? That's correct. And we have some as part of the SecOps guide and we have points to the actual uh, instant response playbooks we talked about last time. We actually have some scripts and things that people can use to, to get started with that, which kind of dumps out all the apps and all the consent grants that they have. And you can look for high privilege um, consent grants, as well as, um, you know, looking for targeting those executives that Chris mentioned, like if that executive has a, an app that looks kind of weird, cause it's called mail, except for the I is a one, right. And it's all in caps or something. And it's, it's like, oh, that might not be uh, a good time for the IR team. Hopefully you didn't look at that like Friday afternoon, like, oh, let's just, you know, walk through these consent grants and see that's a, that's a Monday morning task, I think. Cause then you're going to have a whole week to to go do the recovery. But there's that if you have a CASB solution, we'll do some of that stuff. So on Microsoft, we have Defender for cloud apps. It used to be called MCAS. I believe I got that right. Um, that you know also helps and shows high privilege consents and, and things that you probably, as defenders, we want to so much go look at. Yeah, and th that's one of those things where if, if you haven't seen kind of the red team toolkit side of this, uh, I think I have the right name of this. MDSEC makes a thing called the Office 365 Attack Toolkit, which will help attackers create these malicious applications so it's not something that takes like world-class knowledge to necessarily be able to do so if you want to kind of dig into that statement anyone that's listening the uh mdsec uh stuff is is where an attacker might start if you want to get a, a deeper picture on how that kind of thing would work um with that that sounds like a good time to transfer into okay so we have these workbooks we can identify these situations how do we then use these to move into setting off alerts, getting those things into our SIM and, and taking action and tying those to, you know, automated workflows or whatever uh, else we might want to do after we realize there's a problem. Yeah, I'll take that because one of the, my favorite things actually about log analytics is when you are you know looking at these workbooks, any, any visualization, you're like, oh, wow, this is super useful. I should be tracking this all the time. You can pull that query, you know, directly into log analytics. Um, and, and I know that seems kind of weird right now without visualizing it, but, you know, definitely go and play around in the portal and you'll understand what I'm saying. But when you're when you pull into log, log analytics, you're just looking at the, the raw query and right above in the bar, there's a way to say set alert. So if it's something that you think is important, all you do is hit set alert. You decide some perimeters, you put a name on it and you set it up. And then you're going to either, you know, however you decide if you're going to be receiving an email, if it's going to be maybe triggering a logic app, whatever things that you decide are going to be um, happening because of that alert, um, you can set that up inside and customize it. But it's very, very simple to do that. And, you know, anything that is in these workbooks or anything that you decide to query or customize is just, you know, hitting a button saying set up alert and then you can start alerting on those things. That's very cool. So that the, we have the rules kind of made for us. We have the use cases listed out and we have that connection to fire out alerts to uh, anything we might be using, whether it's Sentinel or whether it's a, a separate SIM, right? We have multiple yeah. different kind of options to connect that to whatever's out there. Um, in terms of Sentinel, I know I saw that there was some pre-built stuff and Mark, maybe uh, you wanted, I know you had mentioned, wanted to talk about some of that. Um, can you talk about where uh, we can go for people who are already in the kind of the Sentinel ecosystem from what we've talked about here. 
Yeah, so depending on when this airs, uh, we should have some of the stuff from the security operations guide should be a kind of a one-click uh, runbook. So all of the things that we talk about in that SecOps guide, uh, you should be able to just click that and it will take you through the Sentinel part and then you can run through all those different um, those different workbooks. And then for those of those of you that don't have um, Sentinel, uh, the team, Carissa, myself, Bailey, Michael, uh, Thomas, Gloria, a bunch of people, um, Johanna, have been working on taking all of those SecOps rules and converting them to Sigma rules. And if you look in the Sigma content repo, you'll start to see them already populating in there. And we'll, as we kind of get further along, we'll update our documentation with that. So if there's a specific rule and maybe you're using Splunk or QRadar or Sumo Logic or something like that, um, we have the matching rule for you. And please, please, please go convert that and start looking at this because we have a lot of really good stuff in there. And that, but as Chris had mentioned, you have all the data, but no one's looking at it. It's not doing anyone any good. So please start looking at some of those things, especially like in the privilege identity stuff, the the apps, which are sometimes things that can be kind of like the app consent stuff. It can be very silent. Like you may not even realize something has happened. And if they're able to get to some of that, those configuration, make those configuration changes. For example, like if you add someone as a an owner of the app, they can make changes to that app. That's That's the deal, right? And maybe they added an additional credential to that app. That app still works. Like it's still doing what it's doing, but now the attacker has a credential they can use to be that application. Like that. So there's lots of stuff we talk about in that SecOps guide that may not be very obvious. And we give you the actual, like what does the log look like? And we'll have the Sigma rules for them as well. So please take a look at those. The app That's... ones are there for Sigma because uh, myself and Bailey did them. I know those ones are already done, but uh, by the, the rest of them, they're still working on them. But please, please go do that. Yeah, definitely a huge thank you for for putting those out for the community. This is obviously one of those things that affects you know nearly every organization. So having both your you know product specific version of it plus the Sigma kind of open source version of it is I'm sure going to be a huge huge help to everyone. Uh, you mentioned some of these things are fairly silent when they go off, right? Or that, you know that's the the word we use here is in there very obscure and you might not notice, right? So we have all these things helping us pick these up. Um, what kind of features or how might someone approach trying to prioritize when, when maybe multiple alerts go off that, uh, let's say I'm a new SOC analyst, right? And I walk in and there's a bunch of things and like, I see the alerts going off. Um, is there an easy way between all of these rules to kind of tell like, oh, this one is the big one versus this other one. That's a little more kind of, uh, yeah. I mean, if you're new, I would just, you just close the window and just like, that was like that when I got here, right. Just wait for the next shift to start and then they can. (laughs) False positive. No, I mean, we, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we do have a high, medium, and low. So I think starting with the the high risk alerts ones that we, we call out uh, is probably a good place to start. But I think it's just the regular type of stuff, you know, in terms of like, obviously a regular user account that gets compromised is bad, but obviously if a global admin account gets compromised, that's like real, like that's a real bad day, right? So, you know, those types of traditional, you know, what is the scope of the the compromise, you know, the blast radius and that kind of stuff is probably a, a good place to start. Obviously, if it's a, uh, a super critical app that has high privilege access, like maybe it's your e-discovery app that's now compromised, like that's not going to be good. But obviously, if it's maybe it's a test app, that's probably not as bad, right? So it's you need that kind of additional context um, to be able to know what to take on. But we do do a high, medium, low type of uh, type of thing. Awesome. I saw also um, kind of looking through some of the features in Sentinel and the other kind of tools that Microsoft makes available through Defender and everything else, that there's a bunch of automations and other kind of workflows um, that can go with this. Uh, is there any thought or any kind of pre-existing kind of workflows that are out there that people can say, okay, the alert goes off, we kind of have a prioritization, and then these are also the steps that we should be taking, like in a more granular, maybe SOAR platform-like fashion, 
to, mm -hmm. to go through once these things go off. Yep. So we actually have, um, you know, in terms of where we take in Azure Monitor and Log Analytics, we call it like all our visibility and analytics. There's some out of the box capabilities or what we've kind of mentioned, you know, all of our logs, you know, things like you have access to sign in logs, provision logs, all these different things. But then we go into the more advanced capabilities. That's what you're speaking about now. Um, you have all these third party export integrations. And that means with your SIM or your SOAR integrations as well. Um, you can be for example, if you want to trigger an alert and then it, it opens up service now and opens up a ticket, this is all possible. Um, and then we have this automation and we call it like our low code, no code integration. So this is where the logic apps can take place. You know, just any event or an alert can trigger something and it you can um, customize how, what you want to happen. Um, and we have all these integrations like with SAP or ServiceNow. I mean, there's just tons and tons of integrations um, with this logic app. So definitely play around with that and, and check that out. Because I think a lot of these things, you know, Azure Monitor and Azure AD that has so many different little faucets that it's very hard sometimes to know all the things to do. And that's exactly why Mark had this brilliant idea to build this SecOps guide because it narrows it down for you. But it also, I know he's shaking his head at me, um, but it also, he, the one thing he wasn't even talking about is like some people have, I've had so many customers come up to me and say, oh, there's a way that we can uh, um, like not allow our users to consent to apps. And it's like, oh my gosh, they didn't know that that was even an option. And it's just a toggle in, you know, the portal. But we expect that our customers, you know, kind of look through all those things. But, you know, that's impossible. It's just impossible to do that. And so the SecOps guide is really where they can say, OK, this is a high priority. Turn off, you know, user consent for all our apps today, you know. And so I think that's what's important about the SecOps guide and also just all these integrations. It doesn't have to be all within Azure AD. We want to support you where you are and whatever tools you're using. Yeah, I think that's a really big thing. And, and one of the things I kind of wanted you to call out with that question was, uh, we have these, you know, if you know how to code, and you want to write everything all the way down to the command line, right, you can do that, right. But there's also these logic apps, as they're called, uh, that allow you to have this kind of low code, you know, I don't really know how to write, you know, if, if you don't know PowerShell or whatever, you can kind of verbally describe like, I want this to happen when this triggers and this and kind of click your way through it. So even teams, and, and, and that's kind of why I bring that up is a lot of teams don't have, you know, coding experts on them or, you know, PowerShell masters that are ready to kind of dive in there and do whatever and make some extremely advanced stuff. They can still get really useful stuff done, right? Yeah. And, and all that's kind of uh, in and, there. You know, PowerShell is cool, but, you know, Cluster Query language is <laughs> kind of where it's going. So, I mean, that's, that's the other thing we want people to learn is like, it's not just just, you know, PowerShell is awesome, but there's other languages and a lot of people have SQL experience. So um, KQL is very, very similar and easy to learn if you already know that as well. Um, so I would definitely recommend that. Yeah, that was actually um, something else I wanted to hit on. Uh, so let's let's dive into that. Uh, Custo query language, right? Um, I'm getting these tools. I want to learn it. Uh, how would you describe that? as opposed to something like PowerShell? And then where would we go to kind of like pick up and practice and try these things? Yeah, I definitely, rec I mean, I definitely think it's very, very similar to SQL. I don't think it reminds me at all of PowerShell, at least that's my two cents. Um, it's very, very similar to SQL. It really reads well. It's quite, once you learn it and understand, um, you know, the, the structure of it, I think it's very easy to read as well. So it's not a, another type of coding language where you have to know all these different little things. Um, also, log analytics, it kind of like shows you errors, which is great. Um, it can, kind of helps you there. Or, you know, it, it, 
it's going to predict what you're trying to write, which I know you can do in, in Visual Studio, but it also you can do that in Log Analytics. Um, the other way, like you asked, um, how would you learn it? So I learn by air. I know everybody learns differently, but I like to take the templated workbooks, for example, and just kind of dive into them, like dive into the queries that are already there and you see what it's doing because then you can kind of say, oh, so this is using sign in logs and it's going to, you know, find out where it says success. And it's, you know, it's looking at these things and it, it starts to make sense when you like um, break it down that way, you breaking down a query that already exists. If you really want to, you know, dive in from the beginning, I would recommend the Plural Site. Um, there's a Plural Site class called, I think, KQL from scratch. Um, that's a really good one. And honestly, still to this day, I go to that and just sometimes look at specific types of, um, you know, sections of that course. So those are my recommendations. And I'll definitely send those to you to include. Yeah, perfect. We'll definitely get those put in the show notes. Um, in yeah, let of- me explain to you what all customers, actually, let me tell you what all customers do. They do exactly what Chris has said. They look at her workbooks and then they do edit and then they can see all the queries and they go, oh, that's how she did that. And then they take it and they put it into their own thing. So they really just take the, the code. And, um, but that's, that's probably the, the easiest way as well as I think it's kind of Chris, I mentioned like looking at ones that work and we have the, all the community stuff. I don't know if you want to talk about that as well, Chris, about contributing because there's some people that have been doing some really cool stuff with KQL and you can really learn a lot by looking at other people's code. But yeah, the Pluralsight class is great. But all my customers just ask me, what is Chris's latest workbook? And then they hit edit and they can see all the, the KQL underneath it and then they take it. True. Awesome. So the, the community effort, um, what can we uh, tell our users and, and, and where is that? And I mean, our listeners, uh, yes. what can we tell our listeners about uh, where that is and what kind of stuff's going in there now? So there's a couple things I want to say. Like, I actually am begging all of them to contribute only because here's the thing. We love our workbooks, um, but it's constantly changing the things that are we need to be monitoring for. And the community is always on top of it, right? And, and we want their help. They, and even if it's not to build another workbook, but just to say, hey, this is wrong or this is outdated or can you guys you know, relook at this workbook and maybe make these type of changes? All of those things would be immensely helpful. Um, so if they go in to our Microsoft open source um, GitHub and and add themselves to that. We have this Azure AD workbooks community inside GitHub. And um, I'll send all of these links and and share exactly the steps, but you can, you can submit your ideas there. You can look at all of the code of all of the workbooks that we have. Um, There's a lot of information there as well about um, how to build out a new workbook as well. So there's tons and tons of information in this Azure AD workbooks community. Um, and yeah, like, like Mark said, people are doing amazing and, and awesome things. And I think the only way we can really learn from each other and take advantage of it is to participate in you know this community. And I think it's a, a really awesome place to learn it as well. So, yeah, one of the things that I kind of looked at when I was um, kind of checking into Cousteau and some of these tools is like, there's a whole bunch of stuff on the Microsoft just online learning portal. I don't know exactly what you call it, but there's mm-hmm. like that kind of step-by-step, like here's how you click through and, and generate these advanced hunting, you know, queries and all that kind of stuff. And they'll um, spin up free kind of demo environment things that you can test this out with. Uh, and and one of the other things I saw when it uh, came to K, uh, comes to KQL was like, you don't know what you're working with, but basically you have all these tables from all the data sources that you have from anything you have in Azure, right? So you're like, well, okay, I want to find anomalous logins or whatever. You can dive into the tables, you can see what fields are there, and then you can craft up your language, like you said, SQL style. Yeah. Um, 
and, and carve it into one of these, you know, workbooks or whatever it is that you need out of it. So really cool thing. And, uh, especially for threat hunters, right? Uh, you go in with that mindset of like, you know, you got to have that hypothesis of if uh, someone were here, here's the things they might do. Let's dive into our fields. Let's see what fields are available. Let's turn it into something that can hopefully uh, catch those kind of uh, activities. Anything else you want to call out? Uh, we're getting close to our uh, time limit here. Did I miss anything? No, I think this was really, this is really great. I mean, we speak, in, we spoken to a lot of like um, conferences and, and like try to like raise awareness about all of these things. So I think also just, you know, asking the community to say like, if there are places or things that they want us to, you know, you know, kind of like take advantage of like this podcast and other places that we can um, provide some resources or share knowledge, like let us know, um, reach out to us on Twitter. We're always responding, especially Mark. I think he's on there like 24 seven. I, I don't know how he does it. So. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, uh, if we got nothing else, then thank you very much, Mark and Carissa, for uh, uh, coming to Blueprint and coming back to Blueprint for you, Mark. Uh, looking forward to where you go with all this. Really uh, a big thank you from you know uh, the community, I'm sure, for all of this stuff. Anytime we have standards and a vendor telling us like, hey, this is what we see based on actual attacks. This is what you need to look for. Here's the queries. Here's the ability to do it. Here's the dashboard. That's just a beautiful thing. Standardization helps us all. So uh, a big thank you for that. Absolutely. Thanks all for having us. Thanks for All having right. us. And looking forward to season four with you, Mark and Carissa. We'll have you back too. Oh, yes. I, I mean, I won't expect to be as big a deal as Mark, but have me back sometime. Stop it. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Thank you. <laughs>